Good morning. Hey, if you want to get a jump uh, on what we're going to be talking about today, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. I promise you it's there. If you do not have a physical Bible with you, there are particularly the Version app is a great app to have where you can, and you can cheat because you can just quickly scroll right to the address that you need to get to. Too bad we didn't have those back in the Bible quiz days, all right? How are we this morning? How many of you planned on coming to the early service, but when your eyes opened this morning, you said, I think I'll just go to the late one. Anyone? A few of you, yeah. Thanks for being honest. I've heard mixed reviews on that. So, uh, Before I dive into the content of Luke chapter 5, um, you know, like Jason has mentioned, this is the, our first day of doing two services in quite a few years, and um, we're really excited about that. And I just was pondering this week who all I needed to thank today, and that would take the whole service for me to do that. So I'm not going to um, tell you about everybody, but if you're part of the switch team, which was the team of people to help coordinate this change, would you stand up? Uh, I don't know if there's any of you in here, Julie. Yep, all of them are out and about working right now, I'm sure. But would you give that switch team a hand? We really appreciate it. I mean, you just uh, over and over throughout this process uh, between the switch team and the staff, Shreya, Jason, Cassie, Jen, uh, just the amount of work. Because we did a lot more than just go to two services, you guys. We, we overhauled a huge number of things that we do in order to have a greater impact in our community, in order to build community uh, even better, to become better at living the mission that God has given us. And so uh, that's, uh, I just want to thank all those people involved, the MHCC Kids team, uh, took a huge brunt of the work, too, to have that full-service kids' time right now. And and here we are full yet, even in the second service. So just greatly appreciate that. Also, as part of a change, Shreya Clancy, who has been our lead administrator, her role is switched to creative director. So the reason a lot of our graphics and aesthetic things around here look good is because Shreya is putting her hand to that. She's going to be responsible for communications, media, graphics design, those kind of things. Um, so some of her roles are changing. Uh, Jen, who we brought on part-time, is going to be taking on some of the administrative tasks to take some of the weight off of Shreya so she can focus more on that. So we're excited for the change for Shreya. So give them a hand if you would. Uh, if you don't know the story I'm about to talk out of, I'm, I'm going to go back through the story verse by verse here in a few minutes, but I want to just tell you the story for those of you that, that don't know it. This is a point in time when Jesus is early on in his ministry. This is the, the, this, the only account of this particular situation is recorded by Luke, um, and he's also the author of the book of Acts, and uh, he's looking at things. He was a doctor. He was, you know, some of the historical perspective. Look at the moment in time when Peter, who was formerly known as Simon, was really called to be a disciple of Christ. And, you know, Matthew and Mark both talk about it, and it's a very brief interaction in those accounts of the gospel. But Luke goes more into detail about it, and I want to look at it uh, because I want to talk about being fishers of men today. And Jesus is just beginning in his ministry, and he's at the Sea of Galilee, which is known by several names. The Sea of Galilee is, uh, you know, Jesus is frequently in that area. A lot of his miracles, a lot of the stories are surrounding that sea. It's on the Jordan River, so if you know the story of Moses bringing the Israelites out of Egypt and crossing the Jordan into the Promised Land, uh, this sea is part of that drainage system. And it's, I just looking at some information on it this week, I was 
Like, you know, how big of a place? Well, they call it a sea. Like, we don't call anything a sea around here. But it was, you know, roughly the square mileage of Canyon Ferry Lake or something like that. You know, it was very big. It was shorter, um, but it was wider. Um, it was part of that Jordan River system. And, and the whole thing is below sea level. Like, how is a river below sea level? Doesn't it end up, how does it end up in the ocean if it's below sea level? It doesn't. You know, all that drainage system goes, goes into the Dead Sea, which we also read about in the Scripture. We know it's a part of all of those old stories. And that whole river system, it's below sea level. It flows into the, 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 that salty place. You know, the, the Dead Sea, nothing grows and lives in it, really, because it's so salty. It is nine times saltier than the ocean. So you can imagine you float really well in it. Uh, I want to go check that out. But uh, it's just a fascinating place, you know, and, and a lot of the stories about Jesus are in this area. And fishing was a major uh, industry there. It still is. In fact, I had a gentleman come up to me after the first service, and he told me a story, which I'll dive into a little bit more later, um, sharing some of the detail, because he was there, right, at Tiberias, which is a city there. Sometimes it's called the Sea of Tiberias. And he was talking about some fishermen he met that were getting ready to fish at night. And he told me the story, so I'll share some of that with you in a little bit. But in this case, Jesus is there. People are just coming around him to hear what he has to say. There's a big crowd. There's a couple of boats there at the shore. And Jesus, you know, the fishermen aren't in them. They're off to the side cleaning their nets. And Jesus hops in one of the boats and he asks them, hey, let's get me out a little bit from the shore. And he, they get him out a little bit. And he sits down and he preaches to the people. And when he's done... You know, one of these boats that he's in, it's Simon's boat. Simon is a fisherman. Uh, according to the other accounts, his brother Andrew was there. James and John were there, and they were a part of it, uh, who later became apostles of his. But Jesus says to Peter, he says, go out in the deep water and let's go fishing. Let's go cast out these nets and catch some fish. And Peter kind of reacts to Jesus. If, if you're following along in your Bible, you know that he... Uh, well, he uh, ends that sentence, the sentence with an exclamation mark. He says, Master, we have been out fishing all night and have caught nothing. And uh, if you're a fisherman, you may know what that feels like. And he just says, ah, but it's your word because you're telling me to, I'll do it. And he lets down his nets and they catch a great big catch, pull in a bunch of fish, so many fish that the nets are breaking. Peter has to signal to his partners on the shore, hey, come help me. They're all astounded at what happens. And Peter says to Jesus, Lord, go away from me. I am a sinful man. This thing is so miraculous and so amazing in the moment that Peter's just like, wow, go away from me. I'm sinful. Jesus says, don't be afraid. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. I'm going to cause you to catch men. We're going to catch men from now on. And they go to the shore and they leave everything and they follow him. That's the story that we're going to be diving into kind of line by line here for a little bit. And I think all of us can identify with Peter. When we read the Scripture, it's not just a textbook. We're talking about this on the way into church this morning. My kids and I were talking about the Bible. and It's, it's not just a historical document. You guys know this is my soapbox a little bit lately. We talk about this a lot. It's not just a textbook that we read to gain information. It is the Word of God. And when God speaks, it has life in it. We sang that in that song this morning. It's your, you gave us the breath that we can even exist. You breathed creation into existence. When God says something, even when I read these words on this page today, they're alive, they're active, 
They're sharper than a double-edged sword. They bring conviction. They bring healing. They bring change. It's way more than information. It is the Word that is proceeded from God Himself. And it goes into our lives and it does a work. And so when we look at this story, we see lots of things. We, we do learn about just the simple fact of the miracles that Jesus did. And, and the, um, you know, we learn about the story and we learn about, but then we learn more about who God is. And this, this whole of the Scripture really is the, uh, the whole story of salvation from beginning to end. From the fall of man to the return of Christ. This whole salvation progress, we see that theme through the whole Scripture. So we see that when we read the stories. But we also see ourselves. How do these words reflect upon us? Who are we in the story? And I think in many ways we are Peter in the story. And we can see ourselves in this situation. So now I just want to go through in a little bit of detail starting in verse one. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him, okay, this gives you an idea of the scene. I'm reading it. I'm reading the word. What do I want to get out of it? I, he's putting me in the moment, and so I kind of, kind of put myself like I'm there, and I can see it. And why are they there? To hear the word of God. Now this tells us several things that maybe we just operate on the assumption now. But when you're studying your Bible, because I know you all do on a regular basis, right? Yeah, yeah, everybody. We, 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 we want to look at it with eyes to dissect and pull that life out of there that God has in there. So we look at there and we notice this and it says, why were they gathering? To hear the word of God. They weren't just gathering to hear a man speak. They were gathering to hear the very words of God. What does this tell you? They understood Jesus was God. By the time John had written his account of the gospel, they knew Jesus' words were the words of God. We even know that when we read some of Peter and Paul, they refer to each other and their writings as Scripture. They knew that what they were writing was going to be looked to as a foundation for a covenant, this new covenant of Jesus. So it's the Word of God. Not just information, not just good preaching, but it's the powerful Word of God that people are coming together to hear. I hope today that when you hear this Scripture, you realize you're hearing the Word of God. Not just a story. Or not just JR's point of view or encouragement based on it, but that you're hearing the very words of God. And I hope they go out and do a powerful work in your heart, because that's what they're supposed to do. He was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is another uh, name for the Sea of Galilee or the Sea of Tiberias. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Fishing was a major trade in that time. And one thing I, I just think about is these were average Joes. They were people just going on about their lives in the place where they lived, carrying on the trade that they knew, and Jesus comes into their scene. And they were out washing their nets, and Jesus has all these people crowding around. Verse 3, getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, who eventually becomes Peter. His name changes later. He asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Again, if I'm, I'm at home studying this, I'm like trying to pull out the scene and what's going on. And think, okay, he sat down in the boat. I think I'd probably fall out of a boat if I were standing in it. So I'd probably sit down too. But even in the Jewish culture, they sat to teach. When they were in the synagogues teaching, 
whoever was teaching in the synagogue sat and taught. Maybe I should bring a stool up here so I could sit. I couldn't sit still would be my problem. Be up pacing around as I normally do. He sat in the boat and he taught them. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. All right, if I put myself in this situation, and if I'm Peter, and how often is Jesus challenging me to do something, asking me to do something? I, I read his word and it has commands, or maybe in a spontaneous thing of the Spirit, I open to a verse and I really feel like that's God speaking to me in that moment. Do I listen to what Jesus is saying to me? We have to ask ourselves that question as I'm going about, am I listening to Jesus? Put down your nets. Put, put, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master. Okay, so Peter already understands something about Jesus. He calls him Master at this point. He's recognizing the authority of this man. He's just got done listening to him preach from his own boat to all these people. If you put yourself in Peter's shoes, what would that be like? I'm sitting here washing my nets and I'm listening to this man's powerful speaking and he wants to use my boat. So I'm in the cool kid crowd now because I'm close to Jesus. Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. We toiled all night and took nothing. Exclamation mark. Seems like a lot of things Peter did had an exclamation mark on the end. He was very, he had this big personality in the scripture. He seems like a big personality guy. He often entertains us with his stories, and yet we all can relate to him, can't we? Who he was and how he acted, the things he thought and did. But at your word, I will let down the nets. So in that time, and I just learned this in between services, this young man came up to me and was sharing how he was uh, there. He was in Tiberias. He was on the Sea of Galilee. He was suffering from jet lag because he'd just flown to Israel. And he walked down to the ocean at night, and the fishermen were just getting ready to go out fishing. It was getting dark. They were having coffee, getting ready to go out and catch some fish. And they, they, what they do now because of scuba gear is they dive down into the deep parts of the sea, and they have bright lights, and it attracts the fish. And I, for the life of me, just forgot uh, the type of fish it was. It's a tilapia, or as they call it, he told me, St. Peter's fish. <laughs> and they would shine these lights and attracts the fish and they kind of herd the fish into, herd fish, I guess that's what you do, into a net and that's how they fish. But in those days, it's very likely that what they would do is they'd go out on the ocean with these, or out on the sea with these bright lights hanging in the corners of their boats and the lights would attract the fish. But it's daylight now and there's no light to attract the fish unless you think about who Jesus is. Who's Jesus? Light of the world. The light that even in the end of days will, there won't be a need for the sun and the moon, the scripture teaches us, because of the light that will come from him. The great analogy there. Great parallel. Now they're out in the boat with the real light. The light of all mankind. Telling you to throw down your nets for a catch. Man, we've been fishing all night. There ain't no fish in this water. Something I've probably said many times myself out fishing. 
Sometimes that's our reaction to God, I think, like Peter. God, I have tried so many times. God, I've worked on that so many different ways. I just don't. God, I don't want to go deal with that situation. I don't want to talk to that person. I don't want to try and discipline myself this way. And yet, Jesus challenges us one more time. Let down your nets for a catch, for a fruitfulness. That something fruitful and productive and good will come into your life. But Simon obeys. He's like, at your word. Again, what was his word considered? The word of God. They were, that's why they were gathering in around to hear Jesus in the first place. Peter recognized that authority because you told me to, God, I'm going to do it. Jesus, because of you said it, I'll let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. No fish all night, but busting the nets was such a great catch. It's like payday for Peter. Like This is his livelihood. I don't know why Jesus chose to do this. Maybe he just wanted to bless Peter for the use of his boat. Maybe he thought this will be a cool story in the Bible someday, so I'm going to do it. I don't know why. You know, Jesus, he always used these kind of natural metaphors and illustrations to teach people about the kingdom of God. Just very natural, normal things. I found myself wondering this week, like, did Jesus wander around looking for metaphors? Or when he created the world, did he do that on purpose, knowing that several thousand years later he'd be using them? I don't, I don't know. That's your deep thought for the day. I don't know why he did, but man, he caused Peter to step into a moment of extreme fruitfulness. All his work and labor. Think about it. He's going to make money off this deal. He's totally blessed. But what is Peter's reaction? Of all the ways he could react, how does he respond to this moment? It's an overwhelming moment. You have to understand, these guys are professionals. A, a net-breaking catch is probably not very often occurring for them, if ever. It's a miraculous catch. But Peter reacts like this. But when Simon Peter saw it, verse 8, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me. For I am a sinful man, O oh Lord. What does Peter realize? I'm in the presence of someone powerful and important and holy who is God in the flesh. I don't know if you understood that at this point yet, but he's just like, oh, I, you are holy and I'm not holy. Get away from me. I am not worthy to be in your presence. I'm a sinful man. We see this happen in other parts of the Old Testament. Like where, you know... Uh, one of the prophets is, you know, he sees God, he's like, oh, I'm, I'm doomed now. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm sinful. I've seen the holy God. I'm going to die because of my sinfulness just from the presence of God. That's how powerful they understood sin, and it's how powerful they understood the presence of God and the holiness of God. And Peter realizes, oh, man, I'm, I'm a sinful man. I do not deserve this. You ever receive a gift and you're like, oh, someone give you such a big gift that you're like, thank you, we'll never do it. I never earned it. I could never justify you know, something crazy like someone sends you on a vacation somewhere or perhaps you've been the recipient of an automobile or something or just a little gift and you're like, oh, I'm not worthy. 
Anyone else ever feel that way? I mean, if you want to send me on vacation, you can. I will receive it, but. Peter is convicted, and we are like, in our process of coming to Christ, see, you know, the Bible teaches us from the beginning of Christ's story, salvation is by faith through grace, Paul taught. We are saved by grace through faith. We come to this moment where we believe, and faith saves us. The faith that God has given us saves us. We can't save ourselves. And in this moment, he realizes his sinfulness, and all of us, in our journey towards Christ, sooner or later, realize we are sinful. We are separated from God. A lot of times, before we came to Christ, many of us, we didn't realize we were separated from God. I'm good. I'm good. I mean, I got my issues and stuff like that, but God is God, and He's way at the other end of the universe, and I'm here, and whatever. He's not that involved with what, who I am, or my life, or whatever. We think that way. We have all kinds of different things that we think about God. But then we start to realize, if, if He's the holy God we sang about, I'm not holy. I'm messed up. And I actually look around at mankind, and I look around at the world, I'm like, something's broken. Something, something's wrong. Something doesn't seem right about this whole thing. That people die. That people hurt one another. Or that I struggle with this sinfulness, even when I don't want to. What is that? It's a broken creation that has rebelled against God. We're sinful. And we have to come to that revelation in order to receive that grace from Christ. If we don't need grace, why would we receive it? When we realize we need it, that's when we receive it. Peter's at this moment. He's recognizing his utter sinfulness. And he, that he doesn't deserve this great moment in his life. And you and I can identify with that, I think, ourselves. Verse 9, For he and all who were with him were astonished. Keep in mind, these are fishermen. Like, I'm astonished if I even catch a fish when I go fishing. But these guys were astonished at this massive catch they have. And also were James and John, the, the sons of Zebedee who were there, you know, yeah, Apostle James, Apostle John, they were major disciples, followers of Christ, and all throughout the Scripture, you'll see their stories. They were partners with Simon. Simon also had a brother, Andrew, who wasn't mentioned in this particular one, but is in the others. And then Jesus said to Simon, he said this, do not be afraid. And isn't this the grace of our Lord? That in that moment that we realize that we are sinful and that we don't deserve this great gift, he goes, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. There's a lovingness, a graciousness that he extends to us and that he holds out. When Peter, yeah, Peter had every reason to be afraid. The king of all kings was standing there, having just blessed him of all people. And he suddenly was like, oh boy, you might got the wrong guy. But he didn't. He said, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. That word for men is men and women. I'm not just talking gender here. People, you will catch people. Matthew and Mark, when they record this, they record it very briefly that Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. In all of our stories, when we come to this point of giving our lives to Christ and making Him Lord, we go about His business and He's fishing for men. And we become fishers of men. We become people who help catch others into this cause. And when they brought their boats to the land, 
They left everything and followed him. Like, I don't know what they did with those fish. You know, we don't know how fast this time process was. But they left everything. He just hit the jackpot for that for the week, for his business. And he left it all. And it's an example to you and I today about how we live for Christ. We don't, we don't do halfway. We don't just let him be God on Sunday. We don't let him just be partial Lord of our lives. Now, this is a journey. We don't all do it perfectly. But the ideal is he becomes the full Lord of our lives, all of us. He becomes God. We step off the throne and let him be there. And we leave all and give it to him, follow him. That's part of, it's not just Peter's story. That's your story and it's my story. Matthew chapter 13 is a parable that Jesus tells, verses 47 through 50. Again, we're going for the fishing analogy. Uh, Go back one slide, would you, Carter? Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net. Johnny, would you throw me that net, please? Try not to catch me up in it. You caught me already, lady. You don't need a net. Sorry, that was bad. Better than the joke about wearing fishnet to church that I was going to do. But... <laughs> the kingdom of heaven is like a net. It was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted out the good into containers but threw away the bad. Go ahead. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. One of those uncomfortable ones where we realize that there's a culmination coming for everything. A reckoning. We thank God that He is just, and that He is the judge, and we are not. I am thankful for that. But this kingdom is like a net. What is a kingdom? It's a place where Jesus has jurisdiction, where He has authority, where we've come under His lordship. All of us are His kingdom. We're His church. We're the church. See, at one time there, Jesus said, My church, which is literally my congregation, my people. And the people that have made him Lord are part of his kingdom, where he reigns, where he has authority. And it is cast into the sea, and it catches fish. This kingdom is dragged through the ocean of life, and it catches fish into it. It catches men and women up into its cause, its transformational message, its power. All of us are a part of that net. All of us, we're both the fish that have been caught in the net at some point, but we're also doing the fishing. We're catching people up into who God is and becoming a part of His cause on the earth today. We're called called to make disciples of all nations. Jesus, when He ascended into heaven, key scripture, we talk about it all the time, before He left, go and make disciples of all nations, all kinds of fish, every tribe and tongue, the scripture says, 
every group of people. And wherever we go in life, whether it's right here in Helena, Montana, or across the nations in South Africa, China, Russia, wherever your feet might find you, you're part of this net. I was pondering this this week, and I'm like, this little square in this net right here, that's me. Where are you? Here's here, over here's here's Janny, my wife. Here's Shreya. Here's Jason. Oh, here's Corey over here. I see him. My elders, team, staff. All right, here's here's a little group of people I connect the closest with. We're all connected, but we're only a little part of the net. I can't catch many fish with the ten people I relate closest to. I can't go about the kingdom work just with my little oikos, as it's called, my little group. But I'm connected. I'm, they, they come together in this joint, these squares. I'm a square. <laughs> well, if I'm a square, you're all squares too, okay? It's hip to be square. Okay. But we're connected in relationship, aren't we? How am I connected to Jason, our community life pastor, who I work closely with on a daily basis? We relate to one another. How am I connected to this person and this person? Through relationships. Where are you in this net? You might be way over here. I might not even know you today. And the chances are I can't know everybody. I can't relate closely to everybody, but I know you're in the net with me. And together we're networked together in relationship to catch people up in this kingdom of God, in this good news, this gospel. But if the relationship breaks, what happens? That little bond between two squares, the relationship breaks. There's a hole in the net and the big catch of fish, some of them slip through. That's why our relationships are so important. This is really a picture of community. People connected in relationship, caught up in one cause, being drugged through the waters of life to catch people up into this awesome gospel that we have. Where are you in the square? Who are the squares you're closest to? Who's in your net? You know, I can't connect to everybody in the community. It's lots of little communities integrated together. Where's your, who's your community? Who are you fishing with? Who are you tied in with? I think it's an important question to ask ourselves. And who are we relating to? I think in the, you know, in the, when, when church and the kingdom of God become too routine for us, we just think it's something that we attend. It's like a service that we go to and listen to some worship people and a guy talk. But it's really, it's life. It's doing life together. It's so much more. And so I, I just want to challenge you and provoke you a little bit. Who are you relating to? Who have you locked arms with in life and are going through life with? Because I can't lock arms with all of you, but maybe it's some of the people sitting around you. Maybe it's people in your small group. But I want to encourage you, build the net, mend the net. If there's brokenness in the net, mend it, because people need to get caught up in who God is and what He's doing. We want to see them rescued and saved and activated. That's the other thing that's really important. And, and a little bit of a soapbox issue for me that I'm always talking about, but, but my part of the net isn't any bigger than your part of the net. I'm not a special part of the net. 
just like everybody else. We're all in it together, working for God's purposes. I hope in this illustration of this kingdom of God being in that, that you see yourself as a vital import, uh, a component of what God is doing on the earth, catching people up in his cause. We want a strong net. We want to fish where Jesus leads us to fish. The light of the world told him where to fish, and he had a huge catch. So we pay attention. How does God want us to fish? And you know what? Fishing is sometimes just life, and it's happening in life, in our everyday, you know, where we work, where we play. Simple conversations. You don't even necessarily always realize it, but you're having an impact on somebody. You're bringing that kingdom perspective wherever you go. And that perspective is life-giving and full of grace and truth. And we bring it into people's circumstances in every area of life where we find ourselves. We want to be a strong net. We want to be catching people up. We want to be effective. We want to be fruitful. We've got to pay attention to what Jesus is telling us. You have to be paying attention to what Jesus is telling you. His Spirit is in us. His, the Scripture says you have the mind of Christ just kind of blows your mind. God would use each one of us in a powerful and effective way to build community and to rescue people. That he would cause us to be fruitful and that his mind would be in us. I mean, that's just a stunning statement. How is that possible? Because he's breathed life into you. That very breath is in you. So when you're navigating life, you're reading his scripture, you're communicating with people you love or people you work with, he's right there to lead you in that process. It's not this mysterious booming voice from outer space. It's the quiet spirit of God inside that leads us and provokes us. I want to look at the the future of Peter from this point. Let's skip up to John chapter 21. Because we see a similar situation actually with the same group of people mostly. Chapter 21 of John. Peter's out fishing again. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, which is the Sea of Galilee, same sea or lake as we would call it in Montana. And he revealed himself in this way. So John's about to give an account of the story. Keep in mind that John was a fisherman himself. Simon Peter Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. I am going fishing. So think about this. Jesus has died. He's resurrected. He's revealed himself a couple times to them, but I'm guessing they're pretty confused about what's going on and what they're supposed to do. It's this in-between time. Jesus is resurrected, but he has not ascended into heaven yet. Peter's like, I'm going fishing. It's what I know to do. It's my trade. They said to him, we will go with you. So he and his buddies go fishing. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Starting to sound like an earlier story we read about Peter. Circumstances are different now. Peter has just watched Jesus teach for three years. He watched him crucified. He's seen him raised from the dead. Just as day was breaking, the sun's just coming up. Jesus stood on the shore, 
Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. This is an interesting thing that you see in the number of stories of Jesus after the resurrection. People kind of know it's him, and they kind of aren't sure. They recognize him, they think, and eventually they do. Why? Why didn't they recognize him? Why wasn't it just instantaneously obvious on the road to Emmaus after Jesus resurrected from the dead? He walked all the way there with two of his disciples that didn't even know who he was. All that that just gives that stirs my excitement a little bit, and I'll tell you why. Because Jesus was resurrected with a new body, one that wouldn't die. And Paul teaches us that we look forward to a day when we also will operate in a resurrected body. Not this one that's sick and dying as a result of the fall and creation, but that one day we will be made new. And I so we might look a little different. Just an interesting thing to think about. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered, No. They're out in the water a little ways. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. I don't know about you, but if I'm out fishing, and some smart aleck comes up and is like, Boy, if you'd just use this bait, you'd catch more fish. Or if you'd cast more like that, which I, of all people, should be taking all the advice I could get when it comes to fishing, Peter doesn't react like he did before. He doesn't go, ah, we've been fishing all night. Like, oh, okay. Cast your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. I suppose they probably, and I'm reading into this a little bit, but I suppose they started to suspect. Who is this character yelling at us from the shore? So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, who is presumably John, the author, said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. Different response this time. When Peter, Last time when Peter realized the power of the person that was with him and who he was, I am a sinful man. Don't be close to me. But this time, when he heard it was Jesus, he ran to him, or in this case, swam to him. He went straight for Jesus. He understood more about this person, his Savior, the one who he loved. A little different this time. I think you and I, sometimes at first we think God's this angry father on the throne waiting to beat us for our mistakes. And after a while, we do come to realize how much he loves us. And that we can, yes, even though he's the omnipotent, omniscient, powerful creator of the universe who will judge the living and the dead, and yet he loves us. And we can go to him when we need. And we should be running to him when we notice he's in this situation. Peter swims in. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the full net of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. <clears throat> when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in the place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore 
full of large fish, 153 of them. I don't think there's a single word in the scripture just for the fun of it. John was a fisherman. Fishermen like to tell the story, don't they? John wrote this gospel years and decades later. He still remembered how many fish they caught that day. But also, if you do the math, I mean, think about this. Uh, we had a little debate in first service. Maybe we'll see how you guys do. But I mean, let's just say you're out on Canyon Ferry. And there's a large fish. They'd be lake trout. How big do lake trout get? Big. Let's do, let's do it in pounds. What's a huh? Okay, I like that number. Now you do the math, Jeremy. Pull out your calculator. What's 40 times 153? I don't know. I'm not going to give you time to figure it out. It's a lot. How many pounds of fish did they have to drag in on the net? Although the nets didn't break this time either. Again, this is a little bit different. I'm not sure what to read into that too much. And I've heard different preachers talk about different things. Not necessarily going to develop a theology based on it, but I do find it fascinating that this time Peter ran to God. And this time the nets didn't break. And we're talking about a post-resurrected Christ who they're following. 153 of them, big fish. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. God, help us have a strong net. Help us be in relationship with one another in such a way that when we're, people are getting caught up with us in this adventure, Lord, the net doesn't break but that, God, we bring in a fruitful harvest to you. That's what happens in that moment. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. They knew now who it was. Why, why does it say that, though? Nobody dared ask him. Like, Is it him? Is it him? It's him. But again, it draws attention to that idea that something not quite as recognizable about their resurrected Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was the third time that Jesus had revealed to the disciples, that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Would you stand, please? Wasn't the first time that Peter hadn't caught anything after a whole night of fishing, but God led him to a fruitful harvest. And this net of the kingdom, I, I just hope, hope you will think on this. That you are this part of the net. Who are you in relationship with? Who are you strengthening? Who are you strengthened by? Who are you investing in? Who's getting caught up in what you're doing? And what about this, okay, I've got my own little community right here that I'm a part of, but I'm also part of this. Helena Community Church and the Church of Helena and the church around the world. We're really, we're really caught in something significant. Something that transforms lives and calls people in purpose and direction with their lives. Let's pray. Father, <clears throat> thank you that you, when you made the world and Mankind rebelled. You didn't just abandon them to their own fate. You didn't just strike them down and destroy them. Lord, you had mercy and began to weave together a magnificent story of reconciliation. 
demonstrating all the while both your justice and your mercy. Father, we're thankful that today you include us in what you're doing. What a privilege for us. Couldn't do anything on our own. It would fail miserably. But Lord, we're so glad to be caught up in what you're doing. Father, I pray for every one of us here, Lord, that there would be a developing sense of community within the community. Lord, that people would be linking up together in relationship to continue the work together, strengthening one another, calling their partners in for a fruitful harvest. Father, I, we just, Lord, we think of anyone out there that really hasn't given their lives to you or hasn't really submitted themselves, Lord, that, that you would, in your tender mercy, catch them up in your cause and your purposes as well. Father, we thank you that you're so gracious and kind with us despite our failings, that you're forgiving and loving. Lord, I pray that you would cause us to be a group of people that brings in a very bountiful, fruitful harvest in your kingdom of people that are transformed by you and whose family trees are forever changed by the grace of your gospel. Pray that you lead and guide each one. I pray that this scripture that went out this morning would sink deep into our hearts and produce a fruit that you have sent it to produce. In Jesus' name, amen.